I'm a believer in the power of knowledge and the ferocity of beauty. So from my point of view, your life is already artful, waiting, just waiting for you to make it art. Tony Morrison. Welcome to Her Own Words, a Dear Damsels podcast. We're Abby and Bridie, the team behind Dear Damsels, and this podcast is part of our overall mission to provide a platform for women's voices, which is what we've been doing online and in print for the past four years. We want to share the stories of women in their own words. In this episode, we'll take you through our most recent theme on the site, connection, and the wonderful writing we received in response about all the ways that we connect with the people around us. We're also going to be telling you about Didi's next book and getting stuck into a conversation about feedback. To kick us off, Bridie opened the episode with a quote by Toni Morrison. Why did you pick this one, Bri? So it was recently the anniversary of Toni Morrison's death. Um, she died last year on August the 5th, and her work and her writing continue to be incredibly important and timely. I've seen her book Beloved come up regularly in discussions that we're all having at the moment about Black Lives Matter protests and um, systemic racism. And so much of her writing is about identity and creativity, which continues to be two very important things um, that we share between us while we continue to work, create and live during this hellfire of a time that is 2020. But I thought this quote would be a comfort to anyone like me who's finding the insecurity of the pandemic and of our politics and our society to be quite hostile and draining towards our creativity and how we interact with art. What I really like in the quote is the reminder that our life is already artful, that we don't need anything else aside from what we already have to create. And that even though we're trying at this time to be creative, the fact that we're making art means that we're already contributing something beautiful or at least attempting to contribute something beautiful which helps me a lot when I find myself staring at blank pages and just into the abyss of my phone and white walls which I was doing just before we recorded this podcast so in a way this is a beautiful thing that we're creating this we're making art right now yeah, <laughs> uh, I yeah I love that quote too it feels like sort of like a mantra and I also agree that a any kind of reminder of the beauty of life very welcome right now because yeah I agree everything for me right now feels less intense but also just really still very odd and like very stuck and slow and yeah I guess it's that uncertainty and um, I did a writing course a little while ago and that the way that kicked off was with a creativity manifesto like writing down basically what creativity means to you in life and I think that's it sometimes it is not about creating it's just about appreciating the things around you and kind of engaging with them rather than kind of output it can be about input yeah that in itself is a mantra abs i think you just made up your own one it actually came out a lot more <laughs> succinct than i was expecting so we're going to start off by catching up with our most recent theme on Dear Damsels. In June and July, we shared pieces on the theme of connection. We chose the theme back in April when isolation and social distancing had us searching out ways that we could find to connect with each other. The letter that we sent out asking for your words on this theme read as follows. We're relearning to be by ourselves, but being apart doesn't mean we're alone. We need it now more than ever, the hum of community, of warmth, of hope as we learn to build new routine from uncertainty, write to us about the hands you've held, the backs you've supported, and the triumphs you've shared. Yeah, as Abby says, like we did create this theme because of the pandemic. And I think we really found a way that we want to connect with our community, but also for our community to connect with one another through the shared experience of 
the pandemic and being stuck at home and social isolation. And we did get a lot of pieces on that theme, obviously, because everyone was experienced at the same time. One of the pieces that we're highlighting um, is Network Connectivity Issues by Ema Neetul, which is a brilliant personal essay talking about all of the things that we were all dealing with by looking at different forms of technology that we're all interacting with. We've got WhatsApp, Instagram, Google Maps, all of these things that we all became so much more reliant on, including Zoom, which is how me and Abby are recording this podcast, um, during this time that we didn't realise was so important before in terms of feeling social connection. And she expresses it with beautiful, beautiful writing about how she's finding that intimacy without touch and also how she feels about herself and her body specifically when there's no one around to remind her that she's in her body or that she is a person or reminding her of what it feels to interact with other people. Because I think that was something that quite a few of us struggled with. I'm lucky because I live in a house with lots of housemates, but I have friends who are by themselves and in the end didn't end up seeing another person for four months, which is just something that you wouldn't even think would be something we'll be facing in 2020. So I'm going to read a section from it that talks about the body theme that I've just discussed, which I really think hones in on the idea of who are we when we're not around other people. One of the questions that haunted my early 20s came from a Jesse Burton novel. Do you have a body if no one is there to touch it? The narrator immediately concedes that yes, I suppose you do. But the question has niggled at me for four years, like an upcoming smear test or letters from the student loan company marked urgent. Only on the most premenstrual of days would I morph into a frantically thirsty Ross Geller yelling about karate. Of course I have a body, I'd always tell myself. Even if nobody had their hands or tongues in me or on me, I had a body. I walked with friends, hiked for miles in the sun, danced until the nape of my neck was drenched. It could ache and bleed and shake with pleasure. Of course I had a body. Now I had a big vat of white dough that I feed and wash and drag from bed to the living room and back again. I love... Ema's writing and I think that she really encapsulated the like restless sort of bleakness of um, the pandemic really well. One of the best pieces I read about the pandemic that felt closest to the truth of how it felt. But yeah, really specifically as well from the perspective of a, a single person and that idea of, yeah, the loss of touch and the loss of physical connection. Yeah, was really interesting. And how she's sort of remembering moments where her body moved. <laughs> like, mm. I think we keep talking about this, me and Abs are like, oh, I just want to dance. Like, when can we dance? When yeah. can we dance again? Because doing stuff like that reminds you that your body isn't just to exist, to go from desk to bed to table. It's there for pleasure. And like, mm. that's one of those things that you get pleasure completely for yourself when you're dancing. Or if you're with somebody, you get pleasure from that. And it was that idea of a world devoid of pleasure. And the only way you can get that is through pixels on the screen. I think she captures it amazingly. And yeah, it was a brilliant, brilliant piece. Another piece that picks up on that appreciation of things that have been left behind because of the pandemic is When All This Is Over by Emily Tucker. So this is a poem in which Emily basically promises to do all the things that the pandemic has stopped. I really love this piece. It came back to her having this newfound appreciation for things that we previously wouldn't have appreciated in life, maybe like the idea of food that's been chopped up by somebody else. Um, so yeah, she talks about sort of going out to restaurants, sitting with her grandma and just really simple things. That appreciation for me really characterises the idea of this theme in, in some ways, as well as connecting to other people, just connecting to the stuff you're doing in a more kind of 
engaged way like in the early days of lockdown when we were sort of appreciating going out for walks <laughs> because that's all we could do and like yeah simple things like like nature and um and also not so simple things like key workers um so yeah just being alive and aware to those things that kind of connection yeah I think Emily really because she's met to us quite a few times now and her poetry is amazing because she picks really specific everyday moments and hones in them in a way that is very universal and very emotional affecting there's a passage in this where she's talking about getting on the tube I hate getting on tube absolutely hate getting on tube but the way she described it I was like do I miss getting on the tube because it's like being around other people and going somewhere and being on the journey and jumping on at the last minute and getting your heart racing like those small moments that you appreciate so much more like what I missed about the tube was the ease of connecting to my friends like don't getting around London like my mum used to live in North London and getting to her was impossible at the beginning because I don't drive because I'm a Londoner so it was just one of those things that she's amazing at pulling out the small moments and for a subject like this where we're appreciating the small moments she was like the perfect poet to do that I think yeah absolutely and on that note, Emily is going to read the whole poem for us. So I'll let Emily Tucker read when this is all over. I will smile so sweetly at the old woman squeezing tomatoes in Sainsbury's. I won't want to heave at how many she's touching. I'm going to get so drunk, trip through crowds of strangers in a Friday night pub. I might even ask someone for a sip or two of their pint. I'll make habit again of running for the tube making people sigh when I push through the doors at the very last second. I'm going to read menus like novels, order plates upon plates upon plates of food that's been chopped up by others, then more. I'll be a pest at Zadell and eat all the bread from the baskets kept where waiters breathe. I will sit by my granny, nod along to her talk, and steal sausage rolls from the plate left half-eaten by my oily-thumbed brother, with every new mouthful, I will shout in my head, I love you, I missed you, I'm sorry. Outside of the ideas of connection that were specific to the lack of connection that we had with the pandemic pieces, we received some really beautiful pieces about human connection in general. And one of those pieces was about a really specific kind of connection, Arrival by Amy Feldman. In this essay, Amy shares about how the really early first days of motherhood changed her expectations of what bonding with her baby would be like and challenge those expectations. I'm going to start with reading a section of her essay so that you can hear how brilliantly she describes a kind of connection that seems so difficult to put into words and she does it so well. Now I understand. What a time for revelation. I am perched gingerly on the sofa, near naked, with milk cascading from my nipples and drenching the baby in cushions, but I barely notice all of this as a feeling engulfs me like the first sip of tea after a cold walk, a tough day of work giving birth. It's like picking up a new contact lens prescription, the world suddenly brighter, in hyper-focus. Every inch of my body aches and glows with love. I realise I am crying, silent tears of amazement, of joy, of relief. I found that so interesting as this idea of connection, it can be really concrete in terms of like how we communicate with one another, but it can also just be such an abstract idea, this idea of human connection. And so I loved how Amy described it. Yeah, I definitely think that, like you said, it's a really abstract concept that she's managed to pin down. Also, not so much about like the mental, because there's that 
bit in this piece where she talks about Facebook comments saying, congratulations, new mother. And she's like, ew, like, what? That's not me. But then this is a very physical reaction that she feels like her examples that she gives of like first of the two, tough day of work, giving birth, like these really intense emotional things that come from her body and like make her cry. The non-abstract versions of communication was also another theme that came up um, throughout the month as people were reaching for different ways to communicate that they all become more reliant on ways to communicate than just talking face to face. And one poem that I wanted to pull out that I thought was brilliant was Stephanie Chan's Who Needs Jetpacks and You Can Have Sex With People You Haven't Met Yet. Amazing title. <laughs> and this poem has such a brilliant form. I can't really, I was about to lift my hands up as a podcast so you can't see my hands. The way that Stephanie has laid this poem out makes it seem very back and forth. You can sort of imagine the two screens and the interactions that are going on, even though it comes from one person's perspective. It's also quite funny. The lines are blurred between the closeness and the intimacy and the separateness. You're sharing something very intimate in a very unintimate way. It's a brilliant subject to read about. And I'm going to read you a section that I think encapsulates those two contrasting images that I spoke about. I tilt my screen and you gasp. I know, right? I'm not saying this is all I need in life, but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't kind of close. Your breathing is all I hear through my speakers. This dance of right hands and satellites, lungs and love handles, fires and fires and fires. Your face pixelated, as real as anyone I've sneaked into my bed. Love that. I love the lungs and love handles and how bodily it is when you wouldn't think you should, you would think describing that interaction would feel quite cold and separate but she shows how how it is two bodies connecting there's a lot of like skin and like touching and sweat and I'm just like I just didn't really think a poem about cyber sex would be like so sweaty <laughs> but, yeah, yeah I know it feels like it's something that should not work over the internet and yet she shows that it does and it can and yeah the way she describes sex it just feels really human and like unproblematic it was really refreshing to read I like how there's a a line about a smile and just like a line where she says I needed that just that yeah a need that could be satisfied through this form of connection was really nice another piece that we got that explored really directly the idea of a, a specific method of communication was the telephone call by Farsana Ahmed uh, this isn't a piece about the pandemic but it is about a couple who are isolated and separated during a time of grief. So that was very relevant to this time. I loved it because it put into words a perspective that I haven't really read described before about a deep kind of connection and an intimacy with a partner that means that basically means you don't miss them because they never feel absent. That intimacy is so ever present. She says about the phone calls that she has with her partner that they ask about the all rightness in each other's lives and like the mundanity of everyday life that you can, I guess, get back through having somebody's voice close to you and in your ear. Yeah, I, this reminded me of a phrase that someone wrote somewhere, which is really vague, but um, I feel like it's probably for a YA novel because it sounds like a YA kind of thing, but it's like the space between a phone call. So when you're in the phone call with somebody, you create a space between you in the gap, like connecting you through this phone conversation and you exist in that for the space of the phone call. And I think Fazana captures that really well. Like you're talking about the mundanities and the intimacy. She doesn't need like grand gestures and love. It's like you're both here together, just sharing what you would be sharing if you were face to face. And you're right. I don't think I've read a piece that talks about that kind of safe, secure intimacy. 
usually it's quite electric and really you know, it's like cyber sex like it's very instant and very like gratification very like pleasurable and this was a completely different one quite counter to the piece that we just talked about but still really affecting and here's Fazana reading a section of her piece the telephone called you are right yes you are right the line crackles and there is a silence we cannot fill yes I'm all right Good. We both nod at our own receivers, breathing deeply together, synchronised and loud, our collective sigh filling the air between us. You went to visit your relatives 3,000 miles away before all of this started, and I encouraged you to go. You needed to go. There was the inexplicable pull of family ties, the connections to people who had not set eyes on you for years, but I understood. They knew you despite the years of absence. They bled the same and lived the same in that foreign land you only visited as a youngster. You told me you got terrible food poisoning as a teen, that you drank something from a street vendor and the weeks and months that followed were filled with appointments, pain and the sickly yellow pallor of illness. Another time you told me of staying inside for four weeks because your family declared it unsafe. Going out only went accompanied by your uncles and even then briefly and for a drink, a snack, a short walk along the beach, reading, endlessly reading War and Peace in a few short weeks, a feat narrated to impress me. Death pulled you towards them. The loss of the final grandparent was a tie too strong to ignore. You needed to celebrate and mourn in person, not over a telephone call or a WhatsApp group. You made the journey to span 15 years of absence. Now there you are, and here I am. But I do not miss you. To miss someone implies a feeling of absence, a void, a gap where they once existed, and a gap that remains until they return. There is no gap and no void where you once were. You were just never missing. I declare again that I do not miss you and I know you will understand. You feel my absence in relation to my presence in a way I never do yours. But you understand that I do not miss you. I see you on screens and hear your voice with your face in a way that I never could before we were married. But hitting send, pressing pause, opening a digital photograph does not fill your absence in like a telephone call over a crackling line. Seeing you on a screen is not enough intimacy so we pick up the phone over and over. The flooding of my brain with your voice over a delayed phone line wraps itself around me and we both relax, present in the face of 3,000 miles of absence. We muse about how, even now, despite the wonders of modern technology, telephone lines across oceans still scrunch and crackle and fizz. We ask about the all-rightness in each other's lives, habitually with every call, every day, without apology. Somehow, by voicing out loud over the phone, we traverse continents and everything is all right even if it is not. That takes us on to Dearest Damsels, which is a part of the podcast that we hand over to other women who are doing brilliant things that we think you should know about. This month, we're hearing from Aisha Remy, who runs Black Girls Write Too, which is a platform dedicated to creating a supportive community for Black women writers. Hi, everyone. My name is Aisha Remy, and I'm the founder of Black Girls Write Too, a platform and supportive community for Black women writers to unleash their creativity and unlock their true potential within their craft. I've loved writing ever since I was little, but life began to get in the way and I just wasn't prioritising my passion anymore. I've been wanting to get back into writing for a while and it was and I was finding it difficult and thought it would be easier if I met other writers that I could share the experience with. I thought about going on a writer's retreat, but just didn't see any that I connected with, nor did I really see anyone who looked like me in attendance. And so came Black Girls Write Too. I launched the platform at the beginning of this year to create a space for black women writers to find the support system they may be missing, as well as put on writers retreats and other events and activities with us in mind. 
Writing can be a solitary experience and the industry suffers from a lack of diversity. So Black Girls Writes 2 aims to give black women the time and space to write to change that. So far, we've got followers from the UK to the USA to Nigeria and further afield. And I'm just so, so happy with the support that we've received so far. Seeing as we're unable to organise writers retreats, given the current global pandemic, we've had to adapt to the situation. We recently held our first Writers Club session, which was an opportunity for black women writers to come and write together for a couple of hours. It started off as an alternative to our writers retreats and it's had some great response and participants from London to Toronto. So we're going to be running these on a more regular basis from now on. We also run a monthly newsletter which contains writing opportunities and competitions, writing prompts and more. And it's also a space for our community to promote their own work too. To anyone that's looking to start a creative project, my biggest advice is to just do it. It sounds really cliche, but you can do all the planning and prep beforehand and you still won't be prepared for what's to come once you start. Once they're out in the world, our projects can take a complete life of their own. So whilst, yes, it's good to do some planning, you also just need to get on with it. When I launched Black Girls Write 2, I had a brief outline of how I wanted our first year to look and a list of a few few ideas and events. But obviously, a lot of that couldn't go to plan because of the pandemic. It's natural to face obstacles along the way, but you'll have to learn to adapt. Had I stressed out about making sure I had the perfect plan and processes in place and even funding, I wouldn't be where I am now eight months later. So fight the fear and just start. What I love most about Black Girls Write 2 is that it's all about connecting Black women writers with each other and to the right opportunities. I'm a big people person, so I love community building and networking, particularly with people who I share a common interest with. It's so important for me in terms of my personal and professional growth to connect and build relationships with others. So if you want to connect with Black Girls Write 2 and help support, follow us on our social media channels. Our Instagram and Twitter handle is at bgwrite2. Help spread the word about us and sign up to our mailing list at bgwrite2.com to stay up to date with all our activities and to receive our newsletter. Thank you so much to Aisha for talking to us. You can find Black Girls Write 2 on their website, bgwrite2.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at bgwrite2. That brings us on to Online Offline, which is a part of the podcast where we talk about the discussions that are going on in our communities, on the internet, and real life. This month, we've just finished responding to many submissions for <laughs> what she's having, which is the next book that Dee Dee will be publishing and which we'll be talking about in more depth a little later on. What was brilliant about the submissions, as well as the submissions themselves, was that having been in touch with all the writers who sent something into us, with our feedback, we also then got feedback in return that was really appreciative of the feedback that we had sent to them which was really lovely to receive because feedback has always been really central to the Damsels as a platform and a community. We always wanted to respond to all the writers who sent something to us because we wanted them to receive a resounding response back, as we say a lot, as a kind of alternative to putting your work out there. And so often, whether that's putting your work out there on a blog or putting your work out there with other platforms, you might never hear back from it can just be a really daunting thing to do Mm -hmm. as we all know with writing yeah I think we weren't expecting that at all um I think me and Abby talk a lot about sometimes feedback is a thankless task (laughs) that's not to say that we're begging you to say thank you but just because it takes up a lot of our time it doesn't mean that we're always going to be able to do it but I think as Abby said as our own experience as writers we really felt that it was something that we wanted to hold as like a key value of what we do 
And I think that there is something valuable about giving feedback as well, but it definitely takes toll. I'm not sure Abs if you want to talk about that a bit because we discussed about like the emotional pressure that goes into responding to pieces of work. So we're very aware, especially with the subject that we picked, we had quite a few pieces that were very personal about really in-depth and emotional things. And to reject something like that is hard. Usually it's not because the piece is bad. In fact, it's never really because the piece is bad. It's because of lots of different factors that go into building a book, like themes or pieces that have the same format or pieces that have the same subject or where the piece is based, just like really specific small things that we wouldn't necessarily want to tell you because that's not constructive feedback. That's not something that's helpful to say, oh, well, someone else wrote about a dog, so we're not going to take your piece about a dog. Like, that's not necessarily helpful if that is the only critique. So we always try to give something more and it's that part that we spend a lot of time doing because as writers, we have needed that. We have needed someone to bounce back off from to tell us where we need to pick up our writing, what we need to develop. It was 150, over 150 pieces were submitted and we need to get that down to 16. I think it slightly broke us a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we're, we are in the habit of providing the feedback to everybody who writes for our online themes. I think sometimes we underestimate the amount of time because we're so in the swing of it. But even so, sending feedback to 150 people is, yeah, it's a lot. And you're right, it is, um, it is a kind of emotional energy that comes to anything and I think right people who write can really appreciate it because it's something you bring you bring a lot of yourself to and it is an emotional thing somebody one of the people who did submit um and whose piece wasn't quite right for all the reasons uh Bridie, many complicated reasons that Bridie just outlined she tweeted something that I'm just gonna get up now won't take me long to find because I use Twitter so rarely that <laughs> this tweet that I sent many weeks ago is right at the top. But Issa Adegeri tweeted about her, the response we sent her saying, today I received the most kind, considered and considerate rejection I've ever seen. Well done, dear damsels, for making something difficult into something good. We need this way, we need more of this way of working, which is something I retweeted, not just to gas myself up or, your, <laughs> or uh, ourselves up, but because I think, being kind, considered and considerate is something Kai really value. And she went on to say that she feels very strongly about the importance of praising the hidden and so often undervalued emotional labor that goes into reading, listening and working with care. And that I thought was really beautifully put. Yeah, I think those tweets really captured like how we were feeling and all oh, retweet and gas us up. I was like, it's completely fine. Like we said, it felt it felt thankless and it's not like it really isn't. It's something that we see with our writers they go on to then have books published or start their own zines or start their own events and you know we see tweets of them working on drafts and things like that and part of the thing with Dear Damsels was to be that platform that then pushed them forward into the next stage and we're not the only ones and there's loads of other organizations doing similar things but I think what potentially sets us apart is how long we spend on feedback but that is very much because me and Abby are both writers and it was a very cool part of what we did it might not be something we can offer forever um, we are looking at shifting into more of publishing, doing more of the print collections that we're sort of doing at the moment. If we start getting more than 
150 i think it might break us like i really i really don't want i know i'm not asking for pity we chose this life yeah, <laughs> um, i might have found our, our peak there yeah it. so it's definitely thinking about that it's thinking about how we could get back to our patrons a bit more who are people who are supporting us and we want to give most of our support to them if possible so maybe making feedback something that we do specifically with them at the moment they get priority feedback and more personalized feedback for our general themes and they were the first to hear back for the foods collection. But I think the reason we definitely want to talk about it is because we're really thankful to get that response back, but also to say that feedback can be given in lots of other ways. And it's really important to share your work. I think that's something that people are terrified of. Every time I've spoken to somebody about Dear Damsels who hasn't submitted yet, it's just petrified to share their work. And I used to be that person. That's why I started the blog. But then the blog was still hiding because I wasn't sharing that blog with anybody and I wasn't getting any responses back. I wasn't getting anyone reading it. Apart from Abby, this one time read that thing and then decided to start Dear Damsels. The origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I got like, I mean, with like Miss Lexi, I've sent to them a couple of times and they always give, they don't give personalized feedback. They give a really good, broad, generalized feedback of stuff that came up and across the submissions and themes and things like that, which is really useful. Abby spoke at the beginning about being part of a writing um, class. I was part of one recently of Write Like a Girl. You can join reading groups. You can join writers groups. Also, you can just like share with a friend or book clubs when you talk about other people's writing it helps you assess yours differently there's lots of ways for you to bring feedback into your daily writing process that i think is really important for us all to do and when we're talking about that kindness and emotional energy it helps you understand what that is what is needed to be able to give that to other people yeah and i think often people are worried that they if that they send something somewhere the response that they will get we all know that we kind of need feedback to improve but we also don't really want feedback at the same time because we're scared it's going to be negative feedback but I would say that the majority of places if they're going to give you feedback it's always it's never going to be what you imagine it to be just like mean feedback so many writing platforms are so encouraging you know the people who set up the writing platforms did it because they want to encourage other people to write I think that all feedback should always be as encouraging as possible because as a default I think the way I approach feedback is that that I am receiving is that I always sort of take when you read it first you take like the negative stuff only and you can only see the bad stuff and then you read it again and you're like oh that bit's okay okay that's not that's actually they're not being mean and then you read it again and you can see all of the great stuff that they've said and so I definitely think as a when I'm giving feedback I always just think be as encouraging as possible because the first thing the person receiving the feedback is going to see is any any tiny negative stuff that actually when you reread it and you're calmer and you can process it it isn't actually negative at all because like you said at the beginning of the conversation there are so many reasons why a piece might not be quite right for publication this time around for whatever issue or whatever competition you've submitted for there's just so many reasons. And I think even when we're doing the online themes, there's so many reasons because there's like, uh, yeah, we want to present as many interpretations of the theme as possible so that we can have a really wide ranging discussion. And then for this publication for what she's having, that was even because it's even more condensed. It's only 16 pieces out of 150. And we want to get as many perspectives. We want to get as many foods. We want to get as many, we want to get a really nice balance of poetry and fiction and nonfiction. You want it to achieve certain things. You want it to be balanced. Yeah, I think it's what you just said there about how when you get feedback, you always pick the negative things first. When you're talking about kindness and approaching things with kindness, you also need to do that to yourself. 
you have to approach yourself with kindness. You have to approach your feedback with kindness towards yourself. I watched a really interesting Skillshare with Emma Gannon on self-sabotage recently for work. But also I was doing, I was like, hmm, did Jamsel some writing? And started taking notes. And in it, it talks about that general thing of being a creative person and your instinct to self-sabotage and your instinct to shut yourself down and not send the submission or not approach that person to talk about the opportunity or not tweet your work that you're doing like really small things that we all pull back on really easily i really think that as part of creating to go back to tony morrison at the beginning the part of creating art and making something beautiful is because your life is already artful so whichever way you interpret it you're already creating brilliant things so the fact you've done that is brilliant just because somebody doesn't take it on with them doesn't negate anything you've already created and you've got to sort of sit that in your head and see that feedback is just development it's not tearing it down mm, I really want to watch that Emma Gannon thing good yeah yeah I mean, it's a Skillshare thing but I'll send you a login it'll be fine I actually I subscribe Skillshare without oh, using it. I am a person who subscribes to many things <laughs> without using them, as you yeah. probably are not surprised to hear. <laughs> I think the idea, like you say, with um, the process of being creative and being uh, a creative person, I mean, for starters, it's like a lot to own that you're being creative, and a lot of people in the first place can't even really, they struggle to call themselves a writer. That's like a whole thing, isn't it? Are you a writer because you write some stuff or are you a writer because you're published? And I would say you're a writer because you write some stuff. But yeah, I always just think it's just endlessly impressive as a person who doesn't write very much, <laughs> but does lots of editing. I'm so impressed by the amount of self-belief it takes to like to spend time putting your own thoughts and feelings onto a page whether that's in the form of fiction or non-fiction and writing a novel like that takes 70,000 words of self-belief and like how day days sorry have you written a novel in a day I haven't <laughs> months and years of writing a novel yeah the amount of self-belief that takes is just so impressive in itself so yeah for anybody who is trying to finish and trying to write something yeah just try and remember how impressive it is that you have that commitment and self-belief yeah it's just courage that's what I think creativity is is courage for me yeah. that's a very another good life mantra you just came up with at the end there well and also we just wanted to end this again with, on a courageous note to take Abby's cue and to share some current writing opportunities that are going on so if you didn't get accepted to what she's having or if you have a piece of work you're like oh, I don't know just send it be courageous to send it. Currently, there's the Spread the Word London Writers Award, which is an annual development program for talented London writers. It was launched in 2018, and its aim is to increase the number of writers from underrepresented communities to being taken up by agents and publishers. There's also the Costa Short Story Competition, which I submitted to this week, Abby. Ah, that's <laughs> so exciting! Yeah, this is, Abby's the person who holds me accountable for things. <laughs> we all get Great one. work. You'll get yourself an Abby. Um, and the award is for a single previously unpublished short story of up to 4,000 words in English and it's open to any writer over the age of 18 and it's free, which is always really good. And earlier this year, we published Anna Dempsey, who last year won the, uh, the Costa Short Story Award and 
I'm sure would tell you to submit for it too. Another opportunity is the Mislexia Fiction and Memoir Competition for this year. Uh, the winning writer will receive £3,000 and the prestige of being published in Mislexia. I think the other opportunities that we've mentioned have been free to enter. This one is £10 to enter, so hopefully still affordable. And then if you're looking for an opportunity to, to write for us, for Dear Damsels, we just announced our final theme of 2020. It seems really early in the year for that to be the case, but it is the case. And our next theme is shift. We're going to link, we're going to leave a link to the theme letter in our show notes. So you have till Sunday, the 20th of September to send in your words for that one. And that will be publishing in October and November, right at the end of the year that has been 2020. <laughs> <laughs> this year that's gone on forever. <laughs> End it now. Just end it now. Finally, we're going to close off the episode by talking about what you need to know about Dear Damsels and the community, which we've already mentioned a couple of times so far. We're talking about what she's having. Three months ago, we asked you for your words about food and following the busy submission period that we just spoke about, we are really proud to announce that what she's having, Stories of Women and Food, will be published in February 2021. And it's available pre-order now on our website. Whole stories are made across the dinner table and in what she's having 16 writers explore the complex and meaningful relationships that women have with the food that we cook, eat and share throughout fiction, non-fiction and poetry. February 2021 might seem like a long way away but over the next six months we're going to be busy working on the collection and to help get the words of these writers into as many hands as possible. For anyone who loves reading what women have to say about food this collection is something to savour. Your support and your pre-orders will help us to start spreading the word about this beautiful book. We really can't wait for you to read it. We're going to leave a link in our show notes for the pre-order, or you can find it on our website. We'll be sharing so much more about this in the coming months, so keep those eyes peeled. Thank you for listening to Her Own Words. You can read all the pieces that we mentioned on our website, www.deardamsels.com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dear Damsels. The next podcast will be about our current theme, Hope, that you can read on the website now. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to share it far and wide and perhaps even subscribe, review and rate it. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Bye, Bridie. <laughs> Bye, Ab. Sorry, I said Bridie instead of Bridie. did. Wow, darling.